Thank you for this morning. Thank you that you have spoken. You are not silent. Both in your creation and in your word, you have thundered the truth of who you are, of your plan of redemption finally and ultimately in Jesus Christ after he died and rose from the dead. And Lord, you are calling to yourself a people who will be holy even as you are holy. And so this morning I pray that this message would help your people in that endeavor to walk after you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love their neighbor as themselves. And I pray this in the name of your matchless Son, Jesus Christ, our soon coming King. Amen. Go to Proverbs. Proverbs 6. This morning I want to talk about something that's dear to everybody here. To one degree or another. And it's called relationships. Yes? Yes. Yes. The title of this message is called Choosing Friends Wisely. And I want to read from the text starting in verse 16. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utter lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. When my daughter, Alexandra, was little, she came to me crying. Um, she was having a hard time. Um, she was longing to have a friend, you know, to, to be able to experience life with her that was her age. And um, from that conversation, I thought, you know, um, th- th- there's a particular kind of a friend that you as a believer need to be looking for. And there's a particular kind of friend that you do not want to attach to. So uh, we had a, a long, long conversation, and we've had conversations ever since. Proverbs 13:20 says this: "He who walks with the wise will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm." Paul in 1 Corinthians 15:33 says this: "Do not be deceived. Bad company." corrupts good morals. And the truth is this, my friends, that if we don't choose friends wisely, we can and will ultimately end up in hell. So there's three things I want to consider this morning. First of all, what do we mean by choosing friends wisely? Secondly, what do we mean by choosing friends foolishly? And lastly, why does this matter? But before we start out, I want to make some preliminary statements about the book of Proverbs and how we as a Christian community can go to that reservoir of knowledge that God has given to us so that we might walk in the light as God is in the light, so that we might navigate shrewdly in this present evil age. Now, the book of Proverbs and the wisdom of Israel is something that's a very dear part of the Scriptures to me. Uh, how many of you make a habit of reading the Proverbs or you try to read the Proverbs if it's the first day of the month you read Proverbs 1 and so on anybody do that? that's a good practice to get into Um, well first of all Proverbs is not a book on good manners it's not uh, uh, that but it does offer a key to life and what it does is it contrasts the wise from the fool And wisdom, above all, is prized in such a way that the book of Proverbs is radically God-centered. It's God-centered in such a way that the affairs of man are to be handled soundly and shrewdly in God's world and in submission to His will. Along with the Proverbs, we have the wisdom literature of Israel, you got Job, you have Psalms, you've got Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, etc. But this wisdom tradition um, came to us before even Solomon wrote 
the book of Proverbs. We have wisdom literature from David. He wrote many psalms. Uh, certainly he, he came before his son Solomon. Uh, Samson, in the book of Judges, um, offers up riddles. You see that. And you also see Nathan, when he confronts David with his sin with Bathsheba, he gives him a parable. So that's part of what's called wisdom literature. Now the prophets affirmed that true wisdom and true prophecy started from the fear of the Lord. It starts and ends there. Um, Let me go to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 4.22. If you want to go there, go there. If you just want to listen, do that. But listen to what God says of Israel. 4.22 My people are foolish. They know me not. They are stupid children and have no understanding. They are shrewd to do evil, but to do good they do not know. Why is that? Because the first principle in doing what is good is to walk in the fear of the Lord. Now, Adam partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thinking that he was going to get wisdom, but he actually became a fool became a fool because he didn't trust God at His Word. And so, by spurning the fear of the Lord, he became a fool. And by spurning the fear of the Lord, we do too. Now, in the ancient world, wisdom and wisdom literature certainly did not, uh, was not only found in, um, in Israel. And that, and that goes right along with the doctrine of what's called general revelation. That is that God has generally given a knowledge of Himself through the created order to all peoples, whether they believe in Him or not. And so that shouldn't surprise us that you find other wisdom literature um, in uh, places of, of the world. But there is no wisdom that surpasses that of Solomon. In fact, Solomon's wisdom thundered throughout the foreign lands. And in 1 Kings 4.34 says this, Man came from all peoples, all peoples, to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. And so the fame of Solomon, the core of which was the wisdom God gave to him, It spread. And people wanted to hear. And yet there was one greater than Solomon. When Jesus spoke, when He came and He taught, He spoke as one having authority and not as the scribes or the Pharisees. And when Jesus was talking about the wisdom of Solomon, He said, there's one here that's greater than Solomon. So the structure, the authorship, the date of Proverbs... There are several authors to the book of Proverbs. Solomon, Agur, Lemuel, and the wise men who collectively uh, and anonymously bring uh, and brought and put together what we have here in the book of Proverbs. Now the introduction in the book of Proverbs, if you'll go to chapter 1, verses 2 through 6, it shows us why Proverbs was written. And Proverbs is not a collection of writings or poems or short stories. That's not what Proverbs is about. Okay? Let's read that real quickly. Proverbs 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise 
counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and the riddles. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The book of Proverbs is a course of education in the life of wisdom. And it is for the covenant people. It is given so that we might navigate in this world that is opposed to all that is God for now. And that we might engage it in a way that is winsome, that is intelligent, that is timely, that is... Sometimes it's a good time not to talk. It gives you all of that instruction. And one of the things I love about the book of Proverbs, it's to the youth. It's given to the youth. Think about it. To the youth, knowledge and discretion. To the naive, to give prudence. If you don't understand what life is all about, this book will help you, young person. So the motto of the book is, and it is the ground for the whole book, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now this word fear in Hebrew comes from a root word called yareh, which means to fear, uh, to be afraid, to revere. Sometimes it has to do with terror. And according to one source, there are many categories uh, under which this word is found in biblical usage. But let me just show you three of them. First of all, first of all fear is seen as an emotion. Uh, when, for example, when the Ten Commandments were about to be given to Israel through Moses, the people feared because of the fire, the rumblings. They feared. They were overcome with fear. And that is why they did not approach the mountain of God. Also, fear is used as the intellectual anticipation of evil. And this is seen where David, in uh, 1 Samuel 21, pretends to be crazy so that they don't kill him. He's anticipating, boy, if they know who I am and they think I'm in my right mind, they're going to kill me. Well, they didn't because they thought he was a madman and he was a good actor too. Also, thirdly, fear can also be seen as righteous behavior or piety. And this is seen where um, the Hebrew midwives disobeyed Pharaoh's order to kill all of the male uh, Hebrew children. So their lives, they, because they feared God, it affected the way they lived their lives. They disobeyed the king's command. Now, fear in the wisdom literature, and especially in Proverbs, it leaves the arena of emotions as an emphasis. And it becomes the object of reflection. And what we mean by that is that the fear of the Lord, Yahweh, is equated with knowledge, insight, and wisdom itself. Now, this reflection of who God is, remember the word Lord in capital letters, L-O-R-D, reveals the name of God. The name of God that was revealed to Moses. This name is the covenant name of God. Now if you'll recall what happened in Exodus, God overthrew the then known power of Egypt. In the Red Sea, recall the story of the Red Sea where God destroyed those that pursued Israel. He sent plagues all those plagues represented the gods that the, that the Egyptians worshipped. And what God was making a radical statement. He was saying, I am God and there is no other. And here is why. And He completely and totally obliterated everything they trusted in. And it is this same God who rescued a people for His own possession. A promise that He made to Abraham saying that out of you, Abraham, I am going to make a people, a nation. You're going to be the father of a multitude. And God, in keeping with His promise, 
rescued Israel with mighty signs and wonders. And this God calls His people to live a certain way, not so that they can be in relationship with Him. It never works that way in the Bible. God rescues the people and now because you belong to Him, you are to live a certain way. I am to live a certain way. And one of the things that the fear of the Lord does impact, it impacts the way we live. To fear the Lord means to hate evil. That's Proverbs 8.13. To uh, fear the Lord means to avoid it. Proverbs 3.7. To walk in the fear of the Lord means that one walks in righteousness. That's Proverbs 14.2. And to walk in the fear of the Lord, among other things, brings wealth, honor, and life. Proverbs 22, verse 4. So, that's a little bit on the fear of the Lord. But now there's this word called wisdom. And this word, and this word, word called foolishness. Let's deal with wisdom. Wis, uh, w- wisdom. Wisdom. <laughs> the Hebrew word for wisdom is uh, the, the main one is hakma, and it essentially means skill with ethical and religious knowledge. When we're talking about ethics, we're talking about how one ought and ought not live. There is a skill to living an ethical life that is according to how God has designed His people to live. Are you with me? Are you bored? Good. Wisdom has to do with skillful living. Wisdom has to do with skillful living. Now how many of you feel like, man, I could use a little bit more skill to live. I know I can. I definitely need it. We're always in, t- we're in touch with that, uh, how, do, how do I deal with this? How do I go about that? How do I approach this person? Wisdom is the ability to make wise choices and live successfully according to the moral standards of the covenant community. The one who lives skillfully produces things of lasting value to God and to the community. What's the great commandment? So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Wisdom teaches us how to apply that command helps us apply that command within community Christian if you're a Christian and you think you don't need to be part of a community part of a local church you have not been reading the Bible you've not been reading the Bible you have imbibed the cultural mantra that is the individual is king now the individual is very important but the individual is part of a greater whole. So that's wisdom. It, one who is wise is skillful at living. One who is wise is a craftsman at life. How about the fool? There's many words for fool in Proverbs, but the main one is kasil. And it describes one who is dull and obstinate. Dull. What did you say? Duh. That's what comes to my mind when I hear dull is a duh. You just don't get it. You ever feel that way? I do. <laughs> huh? But not only dull, but obstinate, meaning rebellious, meaning stubborn. Stubborn to a fault. I think stubbornness is a strength, but when it's not submitted to God, it becomes a big, big um, barrier to growing and flourishing in our lives. Um, anyway, now this has nothing to do with y- your ability to think. The ability to think. But it has to do with the chosen outlook one chooses to have on a given matter. For example, the fool in himself, 
has neither the idea of a patient search for wisdom nor the concentration for it. Did you hear that? The fool in himself has neither the idea of a patient search for wisdom nor the concentration for it. To get the wisdom that God requires in the Scriptures requires patience and it requires a diligence that you're just not going to quit till you get it. The fool has no such patience. The fool is marked by internal impatience, but the, the root problem here, it's not mental, it's spiritual because the fool loves foolishness, folly. It's 26.11, Proverbs 26.11. The fool does not fear the truth, Proverbs 14.8. And the fool thinks that fearing God is a waste of time for him. Now in society, the fool is a menace. At best, he wastes your time, that's Proverbs 14.7, and is a nuisance, Proverbs 17.12. He is the cause of sorrow, bitterness, and calamity to his father and mother. He's a worthless son. The fool is a worthless son. That's harsh. But that's the word of the Lord. Back to the motto, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is expounded in a series of fatherly talks to the Son from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 9 to verse 18. But now I want to get to why I'm here. That's just a little bit of groundwork between the wise and the fool, why God gave us Proverbs, etc., Choosing friends foolishly. Proverbs 6, 16-19. Remember that the fool is described in many different ways, but at the core, the fool is a person who despises anything to do with the person of God or the knowledge of God. And they're stubborn to a fall, and rather than choosing life, they prefer death. And I've got to tell you, I've been the fool. I have fallen into this. You probably have too. So this is something that's very close to each and every one of us. So there's no place here for thinking you're better than somebody else or looking down your nose, etc. Okay? What I want to first do is define a few terms, and that is what I mean by choosing and what I mean by friend. So to choose... Um, there's a lot of different definitions for it. Uh, it's a, to pick out something or someone as being the best or most appropriate of two or more alternatives or to select from a number of alternatives uh, to consider something desirable and proper over something else. The um, One way of saying choice, what we mean is a conscious or unconscious act of the individual will, whereby a decision is made to prefer one object or course of action above another one. And so it is the will choosing that which is most desired at any given moment. A friend, boy, the, the, the dictionary definitions were... Kind of interesting. Uh, a person who you like and enjoy being with? Okay. A uh, person who helps or supports someone or something? Okay. But the, 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 the word that I want to use, friend, and what I want to become a friend, um, and I want you to be looking for this kind of a friend. A, a friend, uh, the, there's a Greek term for a friend. It's philos. And this Greek term for friend carries with it the sense of uh, benevolence and warm affection, but it doesn't reach the levels of family or sexual love. This isn't this isn't about somebody that's in your family. Now, somebody in your family can become a friend, but usually this this does not focus on that when we're dealing with friend. Um, it has a sense of there's loyalty, there's commitment, and there's forgiveness that could be expected to survive disagreements and disappointments. You know when you know you got a friend? 
when you've when you've had when you've had a hard time and there's been disagreements and there's a blow up but you guys come back and you work it out you got a friend if you feel like you know you got to walk on eggshells with somebody it's going to be very difficult to to have this kind of a you know a friend a friendship with them so what does god hate let's go directly to the text there are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to Him. That's verse 16. First of all, the use of six and seven is known as a numerical ladder. It's a poetic arrangement. And the reason it's arranged this way, it's pointing out that this does not exhaust the list of those things that God hates. In other words... God hates a lot more stuff that's in here. Right? Secondly, understand that this is God's hate list. Now, why do I want to point that out? Because there are many people, including Christians, that have no category for God to hate. Perhaps you, you struggle with that. But let me tell you, all you have to do is read the Bible on a cursory just, just read it. You, you, don't, you don't have to be really intense. Just read the Bible and you'll see over and over again that God hates. What does He hate? He hates everything that opposes Him. He hates everything that opposes Him. God commands His people to cling to hate what is evil and to cling to what is good. And yes, God is a God of love. But because that is true, because God is a God of love, all that opposes that love, He hates. Third, the term hate means to have an intense or active hostility expressed in settled opposition to a person or thing. It's an extreme disgust which merits intense dislike. It's not good, it's bad. God hates all sin because it is an offense to his holiness which results in our harm. To offend his holiness results in our harm. And God hates that. God's hatred is not twisted like ours can be and often is. Instead, God's hatred is perfect hatred. It is not out of control in any way. It is unblemished completely. So, from what hate means to what God hates. Let's get into it. Verse 17a. It's foolish to choose someone that's proud. That's the first thing. Haughty eyes. Haughty eyes is literally in the Hebrew high eyes. And this is used figuratively of someone who is arrogant. Now when I um, taught this to my kids when they were younger... Um, we we use body parts, right? So a high eye, pride, right? You've heard of oh man, this person's high browed. You know they, they they look down their nose at people. They think they're better than everybody else around them. There's there's an arrogance that uh, um, is uh, portrayed there, and um, the, the, this person has an attitude that overvalues self and undervalues others. It's a good way of remembering it. Philippians 2, 3-4 through 4 says this, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Paul is talking to the Christian church. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And then he uses Christ as the example who came, who humbled himself, 
the God-man, set aside all of his divine uh, rights so that he might rescue those that are lost. So that's the first thing. God hates someone that's proud. It's foolish to choose someone that's proud for a friend. Number two, it's foolish to choose someone that's a liar. And this is verse 17b and verse 19a. Verse 17b says, God hates a lying tongue. Now what is a lie? A lie is not, oh, I made a mistake. It's not a lie. Duh. No, a lie is intentional deception. A lie has to do with intent. Intent to deceive. Okay? For example, did you clean your room? Yeah, sure, and you know you didn't. Or you're at work, and did, did, you, you, know, did you fill those orders? Yeah, yeah, we did, and you know you didn't. You're intentionally deceiving to cover your behind. Right? That's what you do. We've all done it. Anyway. Proverbs 12.22 says this, The Lord detests lying lips, but He delights in men who are truthful. Again, Proverbs 12.19 says, Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only for a moment. Revelation 21 8 says, All liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. People that lie. People that make a practice of lying. Every time they're opening up their mouths, they're lying. This person does not show that they've experienced new birth. Now before I go on, I just want a little caveat here. I don't want you to take this message as, um, a, uh, uh, as a, a moralism. If I do this, I'm good. If I don't do this, I'm bad. You're missing the point. Um, th- there's only one who is good and that is God, Jesus said. And so whatever goodness that we do have, it's not of ourselves, but it is God's given to us. Okay? Number two, you don't do these things to come into the kingdom. I've already said about it. I need to restate it. You do this because it demonstrates that you are in the kingdom. This is really important. Don't get confused. Okay, so God hates a lying tongue. He hates a false witness who utters lies. Verse 19a. This is a person who defames and damages another's reputation. This is a person who slanders. We live in a culture of slanderers. And and I think one of the, the, the... the biggest culprits is the media. For a story, they will twist the truth to get a rise out of people and for ratings, whatever it takes. And if it's not true, well, we'll, we'll, we'll twist it a little bit and we'll ruin this person's life. God hates that. God hates that. Proverbs 25:18 says like a club or a sword or a sharp arrow is the man who gives false testimony against his neighbor. Nothing is harder to work for than a good name. It is more precious than gold or silver. Proverbs says, I think it's in chapter 22, verse 1. Yet nothing is easier to ruin than one's reputation. All it takes is one lie. All it takes is one slur. That's all it takes to ruin a person's life. Careless words. You talk about unbridled passions. I love the answer the little boy said to his mom when she asked, What is a lie, honey? He said, Mother, a lie is an abomination to the Lord, but a very present help in time of need. 
You ever experience that? You ever experience that? You know what? A little white lie ain't going to hurt anybody. My mother-in-law was into white lies. And I love my mother-in-law, okay? I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not slandering her or anything, but her and I would talk a lot about these. Oh, it's a little white lie. Don't worry about it. It's like, I don't know. I've got a problem with it, you know? Jesus in Matthew 5 says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything other than that comes from the evil one. That's pretty radical. At times we would agree with a little boy, right? But in the end it backfires on us. And it turns blessing into cursing. And we'll live to hate it. We will. I have. It's foolish to choose a liar for a friend. Next. It's foolish to choose someone that's a murderer. Think about this. Verse 17c. Hands that shed innocent blood. God hates it. Notice what he says right there. Hands that shed innocent blood. There's a time for everything under heaven. There is a time to do away with the wicked. It's called justice. And we all cry for it. Whatever you're making out of the whole Ferguson thing in Missouri, one of the things people are crying out for is justice. They want people to be punished. We all cry for justice. We know that when somebody crosses the line, it's time. Some people are opposed to the death penalty. I don't even want to get into it right now. God isn't. Read the book of Revelation. Where Jesus smites His enemies with the sword of the Word that comes out of His mouth. There's a time for mercy. There's a time for justice. Thank God for mercy. But if you love God and His name, let me ask you a question. Why do you think God told Israel to wipe out the Canaanites? Because the Canaanites were good people? They were sacrificing their children. To the fire. They were doing horrific things. It's almost as if, like the flood, people got to a place where there was no remedy. The remedy was to wipe them out. Those are sober thoughts. Tell you what, you break into my house, I will do everything I can to take your life because I do not want you to victimize my family. You're the aggressor. I'm being attacked. If you have crossed that line, I'm in fear for my life. And if it's going to be between you and my family, it's not going to be my family. And if you've got a problem with that, I don't got a problem you having a problem with it. <laughs> the murderer is the one who takes advantage of someone's vulnerability. It occurs in our homes, it occurs in the streets, and it's occurring in society at large where unrighteous violence is rampant. And sometimes the only thing people that are into that understand is force. It's the only thing they respect. That's it. And if you don't and if and if you don't know that, then you need to wake up. Proverbs one, eleven through nineteen. Here's what he says. If they say, Come with us, and now this is the father talking to his son. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. 
Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole, as those who go down to the pit. We will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us. We shall all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path. For their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed blood. Indeed, it is useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird. But they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. You know, if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword, Jesus said. It's foolish to choose the way of the gangbanger or the way of the mafioso. It's foolish. Your end is doom. You hear me? Your end is doom. And if any horrific scenario you can think of right now can't compare to facing the God who is a consuming fire who you will stand before if you continue in that path. It is foolish to choose the way of the murderer. Next. It's foolish to choose someone that's a wicked planner. Verse 18.8 A heart that devises wicked plans. This is a person that figures out ways to sin. I think all of us in here can really relate to that. You got that one sin you really like. Nobody else knows about it. We just let me just hang out here for a little bit. Okay, what time is it? Okay, coast is clear. I'm gonna go here now. They're deliberate in their method of transgressing. They're very calculating. Uh, Proverbs 1, 28-31, Then they will call on me, talking about the fool, but I will not answer. This is God. This is wisdom. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Why? Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel, they spurned all my reproof. So they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. The wicked planner believes that sin will satisfy them. Not righteousness. But it's not true. It's actually the reverse. Next. It's foolish to choose someone that's quick to sin. This deals with feet that run rapidly to evil. These are people that don't know God. Not only do they not know God, they don't understand His ways. And sinning is as easy for them as swimming is for a fish, for a dolphin. It's just easy, man. I mean, this is so me before I was a Christian. It was so easy for me really to do a lot of this stuff. Romans 3, 9-18, through 18, Paul says this, What then? Are we better than they? He's concluding a big thought. All are under sin, both Jews and Greeks, right? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin, as it is written. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. 
Sin does not serve well as the gardener of the soul, one person has put it. It landscapes the contour of the soul until all that is beautiful has been made ugly, until all that is high is made low, until all that is promising is wasted. Then life is like the desert, parched and barren. It is drained of purpose. It is bleached of happiness. Sin then is not wise, but wasteful. It is not a gate, but only a grave. Lastly, it's foolish to choose someone that spreads strife among brothers. Verse 19b, this is somebody who holds grudges. This is someone who is unforgiving in their heart toward other people. This is someone who is being eaten up by bitterness. You ever experienced that? It's horrible. Horrible. Proverbs 16.28 says this, A perverse man stirs up dissension and a gossip separates close friends. Dissension is a work of the flesh. It's a conflict resulting from rivalry and discord. It's a person who is always saying something bad about someone else. Do you know anyone like that? Are they sitting in your chair? So don't choose the proud, the liar, the murderer, the schemer, the quick to the one who's quick to sin, nor the gossip as a friend. That's a bad idea. Instead, I want to encourage you to choose friends wisely. Proverbs 12.26 says this, A righteous man is cautious in friendship, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Get around somebody that fuels your passion for God, not quenches it. Did you hear that? Get around somebody that fuels your passion for the Creator who upholds all things by the word of His power. Not somebody that quenches that desire. Bad company corrupts good morals. You know the difference between being around somebody who loves Christ. I'm talking to the Christian right now. Being around somebody who loves Christ and you're saying, dang it, I want more of what's going on there. There's something, they're feeding your fuel for God. And you know what it's like to be around somebody who, you know, they may go to church, man, but they know how to sin real well. You know what I'm saying? And I'm messing with you. They know how to sin real well, and they look good on Sundays, but man, the rest of the week, they're essentially a non-believer, clothed in believer's clothing, one. Or they are a believer that God is going to discipline. (laughs) And it hurts. Trust me. I've experienced it. But nonetheless, don't get around somebody like that. That's not the kind of friend you want. Not if you want to go hard after God. Not if... You're taking seriously, you don't want to act like an idiot and, and, and live as a fool. Singles. Be careful when you're choosing a spouse. Guys, girls, I know if you're in your, you know, you're in your, in your 20s, you know, five years is an, an eternity away to wait, right? Oh God, I'm 20 years old, I can't wait. Yeah, you can, and you better. And let me tell you why. If you get into a marriage that's with somebody that doesn't love Christ and you love Christ, you have entered a hell. I've seen it. Loved ones have experienced it. So if you want to be wise and not foolish, heed what I just said right there. But if you don't, I will weep for you and I will pray for you. And I don't say that lightly. I will weep for you because the pain that you are inviting is unlike anything you even knew existed heck marriage between believers is hard enough I mean come on I love my wife 
I adore my wife. She is the woman of my dreams. And as we've been married these 24 years, do you think we've had conflict? Yeah. What marriage doesn't have conflict? Have we resolved our conflicts? Yes. Has there been forgiven, extended to each other? Yes. But I'll tell you this right now. Sometimes the conflict is like very, very distasteful. It really is. And that's a good way of putting it. I'll leave it at that. So, number one. It's wise to choose a humble person for a friend. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. James 4.6 says, But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Matthew 5.3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. To be blessed is to be somebody who is thoroughly happy because they have received God's favor. The poor in spirit speaks of one who recognizes God doesn't need anything I have as if I, the creature, can give anything to the Creator that they need, that He needs. Poor in spirit recognizes God doesn't need anything from me. I need God. And what what does the poor in spirit do? They receive the kingdom of heaven. They come under God's rule and reign. They partake of that which is for the children of God. The grace, the mercy, the kindness and goodness of God. They do not live lives independent from God, but they are utterly dependent on God. Jesus said this in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 Come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In Matthew 11, my gosh, you see uh, um, essentially God through Christ's ministry preaching to all these cities, seeing miracles. They don't repent. They don't repent. They don't repent. And yet Jesus, rejoicing in what God has done, He has hidden these things, the message of the kingdom, from the wise, and He has shown it to babes. To who? To the humble. To who? To those that recognize they need God. And that's why He's calling them, come to Me. Come to Me. Who are the humble? Those that come to Him. You want to learn humility? Sit at the feet of Jesus. Nobody more humble than Him. It's wise to choose a friend who is truthful. Right? Proverbs 27.6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. A friend tells you what you need to hear, not all the time what you want to hear, right? Wives, husbands, children, elders, grandparents, in-laws. Regardless of who it is, somebody comes to you and is telling you something that's true about you, even if you don't like the way they say it, ask yourself this question, is what they're saying true? God, give me the wisdom and the foresight to see past their manner and I need to hear the substance of what they're saying. That's wisdom. That's what the wise do. Ephesians 4:15 and 25. Paul, the first part of Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, Paul tells us what God has given to the church. And therefore, because God is giving all these things to us, now we're to live a certain way. And one of the ways we're to live, we're to be speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head even Christ. We are to lay aside falsehood. Paul is telling Christians to lay aside falsehood. Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. You know, the, the, 
the movie A Few Good Men, when Gene Hackman, oh, not Gene Hackman, but um, J- Jack Nicholson tells uh, um, Tom Cruise, yeah, you know, you can't handle the truth. Remember that? In the courtroom? And he goes on and tells him the dirty business they're in. And, um, and Tom Cruise, he just wanted the truth. Did what is said to have happened, happen. And then he got it out of him because the guy, yeah, I did. And he didn't realize he just hung himself, right? Can you handle the truth? Ask yourself, can you handle the truth? Can you read Scripture and go, ooh, that offends me, but that's true. What do you do with that? Do you just toss it and just move on your merry way? Do you realize why it's so critical for you, professing believer, to be in community? So that you can hear the truth? So that you can hopefully embody it? So that you can give it? And sometimes hearing the truth is very difficult because we have a higher view of ourselves than we ought to. It's just how we are as people. We think we're always doing better than we are, right? Ask your wife. And I'll ask you, hey, how are you doing in your marriage? Oh, yeah, everything's great. You know, ask your wife, oh, well, you got some time? You know, or in your friendship, sometimes you think everything's cool and it's like, boy, this person has a laundry list of they're angry. Thought you were doing better than you actually were. Anyway, Jesus in John fourteen six, he says that he is the truth. He is the truth. John Stott, the late prolific Christian writer, says to walk in the truth is more than to give assent to it. It means to apply it to one to one's behavior. He who walks in the truth is an integrated Christian in whom there is no dichotomy between profession and practice. On the contrary, there is in him an exact correspondence between his creed and his conduct. Such conformity of life to the truth in his children brought John greater joy than anything else. To him, truth mattered. To the Apostle John, truth mattered. We've been in the Epistle of John these last months. Truth matters. And if you're a Christian, truth has to matter to you. Do not imbibe the relativism that is everywhere such that people are not skilled in making ethical judgments because the fear of God is not in them. Don't learn from them. Learn from the book. Next, it's wise to choose a friend who makes peace. Matthew 5.9 says that blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, what is a peacemaker? Well, 357 Magnum. It's a good peacemaker. But a peacemaker here is one that helps two parties reconcile. Um, It's not primarily to cause wars to cease, but it definitely involves being involved in another person's life. The peacemaker is courageous. Why? Because the peacemaker is not a busybody, but the peacemaker does not shrink back from conflict among parties. The peacemaker is courageous. You know cowards will not enter into the kingdom of heaven, it says in Revelation. Have you ever thought of that? If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father and the holy angels in heaven. That's what a coward does. That's cowardice. Isn't Jesus called the Prince of Peace in Isaiah 9? Look, Jesus is the the, the supreme peacemaker between God and man and man toward man. Peacemaking 
includes also, you ready for this? The public proclamation of the gospel. You know any friends that like to publicly proclaim the gospel? Get around them. That'll get you uncomfortable. Won't be bad for you. Lastly, it's wise to choose a friend who will give their life for yours. Instead of taking your life, this friend will actually lay down his life in order to save yours and mine. Jesus modeled this in John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus did for his disciples. He's calling the disciples his friends. They were sinners. Husbands are to model this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's Ephesians 5.25. And every Christian is to model this. Listen to this, 1 John 3.16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Why does this matter? Well, I've got three sets of questions for you. Who are you associating with in your life, Christian? Do your friends depict a life of foolishness or wisdom? Perhaps you've made bad decisions choosing your friends. Uh, I mean, who hasn't, right? Looking for a wise rather than foolish friend is not an unweighty matter. It is not a joke. It's serious. Secondly, do you consider yourself to be a foolish or wise friend? Is friendship something that absolutely terrifies you? Or do you embrace that thought? If you're not God's friend, which ultimately happens through Christ, then you are His enemy and God's wrath remains on you. But Christ came to rescue people like us from that horror. If we would but follow Christ, make Him the reason we live, and thus lay down our lives for the cause of the kingdom, then today is your day of reconciliation. Jesus, the second person of the triune Godhead, unlike the proud, the liars, the murderers, the schemers, those who are quick to sin, and the gossips, unlike them, He humbled Himself by becoming a man in order to reveal to us the grace and truth that delivers us from the wrath to come through His atoning death and resurrection, thus securing for His own peace with God. And what will you do with Jesus, friend? What will you do with Him? All of us here have at one time or another been proud, liars, murderers, schemers, quick to sin, gossips, and so much more. But you call us to a life that's consecrated to you, Lord. You call us to make our election all the more sure. You call us to walk in the light as you're in the light. You call us to come bow to you, King of kings and Lord of lords, you demand nothing but a radical devotion to the plans and purposes of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And may everyone hearing this message, my prayer, may everyone hearing this message be swept into the kingdom and may they choose wisely, may they choose life. And there's a song that we sing, we haven't sung it in a while. And I want to end it with this. Jesus, friend of sinners, loved me ere I knew Him. Drew me with His cords of love. Tightly bound me to Him. Round my heart still closely twined. The ties that none can sever. For I am His and He is mine. Forever and forever. Jesus, friend of sinners, a crown of thorns you wore for me. Bruised for my transgressions, pierced for my iniquities. 
The wrath of God that I deserved was poured out on the innocent. He took my place, my soul to save. Now I'm His forever. Jesus, friend of sinners, I love to tell the story. Redeeming love has been my theme and will be when in glory. Not death nor life nor anything can ever separate me. Oh, love that will not let me go. Yes, I am His forever. Not death nor life nor anything can ever separate me. Oh, love that will not let me go. Yes, I am His forever. And that is a song of every one of us who said, Jesus, I want You more than life. Amen.